This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Returning to Eden, a field guide for the spiritual journey. Returning to Eden is a book by Heather Hamilton for people who resonate with aspects of Christianity but struggle with the coherence of its claims. After having a mystical experience that shattered her evangelical beliefs, Heather Hamilton found herself on the journey that every true spiritual seeker ultimately takes. The highest truths that set us free are hidden in places that most people are not looking. Returning to Eden re-examines the Bible stories of childhood and opens them up as symbolic maps into the inner world. Stories like Jonah and the Whale, the parting of the Red Sea, Noah's Ark, and the Virgin Birth are illuminated with penetrating depth and intellectual integrity. Faith is no longer a white-knuckled grip on implausible beliefs, but a relaxation into a deep inner knowing. You can purchase Returning to Eden by Heather Hamilton at Amazon.com or at ReturningToEden.com. Hello, this is Elizabeth Schrader. I'm a PhD candidate at Duke University who writes a lot about Mary Magdalene. If you like theologically stimulating podcasts, there's nothing better than a second cup with Keith. Hello and welcome to Second Cup with Keith. In this episode, I'd like to talk to you about something that I think is really important, and that is the need to embrace mystery. Now, the reason why I think it's so important to embrace mystery is that the alternative is um, to talk about God and to talk about theology as if you have all the information, all the correct information. Um, That's kind of a problem. Let's just admit that when we're talking about God, we are talking about a being that is beyond all comprehension completely. Um, In fact, if you think of it this way, You know, if you were to, let's say, fill up a jar with uh, all of the things that you know for certain about God and the nature of God, well, that jar would mostly be empty, wouldn't it? I mean, because God, by definition, isn't a being um, that we can fully, completely comprehend and wrap our minds around. Now, if I were to say the opposite, though, if I were to say, you know what, um, let's now fill up a jar with all of the things that we do not know about God, well, that jar would run over, right? In a way, you can think of it sort of like data sets. Um, The data set for all the information that we know about and understand about God um, is approaching zero. Uh, almost null. The data set of all the things we do not know about God is almost infinity, uh, which is, you know, almost everything. And so um, when you think of it that way, um, the it's really the height of arrogance to come to speak about God um, being beyond most hum- almost all human comprehension as if you know something um, about God with some incredible, you know, undoubtable certainty. So theology, by its nature, is the study and the dialogue and the discussion around a topic being God, a topic that is infinitely Create greater, infinitely beyond our 
complete ability to describe or understand, comprehend, um, or express, right? So that's really why it's so confusing and kind of odd that when it comes to theology, so many theologians, Bible teachers and pastors, um, speak as if they are absolutely um, correct and that there is no possible way that they could ever be wrong about anything. And then, of course, this creates a very strong us-and-them attitude, right? There are people like us who have the right information about God, and then there's everyone else who is wrong because they have different or, you know, uh, opposing information, or they don't agree with our information uh, about God and who God is. So that's why I think it's so important that we take a step back and consider the possibility of the value of embracing mystery, especially when it comes to God. Um, I think it's also something we should consider because really Christianity in America has largely become um, uh, about being right, about having the right information about God. And therefore, if you disagree with me, you have wrong information, at least according uh, as it compares to me, if I'm making myself the standard for all truth, uh, and I can't be wrong, therefore I'm right, and then anyone that doesn't line up with what I believe, they're wrong and therefore condemned and on the outside. And of course, you know, we, we play these kinds of games. It creates, again, this very strong Christian tribalism, um, which is typically the recipe for uh, conflict, argument, division, and historically, uh, violence, and war, and genocide. Uh, this is really one of the biggest challenges that Christianity has had. The moment Christianity became about information, we were set on this course, on this path that only leads us to conflict, argument, disagreement, violence, and then eventually war and genocide. That's where that path takes us. And so this is a very dangerous thing, and we need to really rethink our faith. Because again, as as I've, I've said and others have said many times, you know, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. And the problem is that so much of Christianity has become about the illusion of certainty. I say the illusion of certainty because even though the people who who are so certain, um, they wouldn't call it an illusion. But of course, objectively, it is. It is an illusion of certainty. We don't have certainty. We have faith. The moment your faith becomes certainty, you have deluded yourself. Whatever it is you think that you know about God, whatever that is, I can tell you one thing it isn't, and that's God, um, because God doesn't fit in your box. God doesn't fit in anyone's, you know, definition, because God is beyond that. God is greater than that. God is infinitely beyond, infinitely surpasses our expectations and uh, comprehension. So really, it's very important for us to move towards 
the idea of embracing mystery. See, this approach to truth, this approach to the to Christianity or to the gospel as about having the right information, is that, as I said, it kind of makes you, and whatever your viewpoint is, the absolute standard for truth in the whole universe. And now again, most people wouldn't express it that way, but in practice, that is what they are saying. That is what they are communicating. I can't be wrong about anything. And uh, so therefore, you must be wrong if you don't agree with me. And um, it reminds me, there's a joke, uh, George Carlin, a uh, great comedian, George Carlin was talking about how he says, hey, have you ever noticed everyone driving faster than you is insane? And everyone driving slower than you is an idiot? Well, of course, we all do that. But what that observation points out is the same thing I'm talking about. If we apply that not just to driving on the freeway, but to or even our belief systems, our theologies, right? Anyone who's ahead of me, more progressive than me in my theology, is insane. And anyone who doesn't accept things that I believe, and maybe they haven't caught up to me yet, or quote-unquote driving slower than me, they're idiots. And again, what you're doing is, what you're saying, what you're saying is that anything I am doing, whatever it is I'm doing, whatever it is I'm thinking, whatever it is I'm believing, that right there is quote-unquote true or normal. See, now you've made yourself the standard for truth in the universe. That's the danger of this way of thinking. So again, that's the problem. If the gospel is about having the right information about God, well, then what's the greatest heresy? Well, it's to have the wrong information. But again, we're talking about this only works if there's something called certainty. But once we once we follow this path, that's why it becomes easy for us to separate ourselves from people who hold different beliefs than ours um, because they don't line up with, they don't have the right information about God. And now we also can see throughout the 2,000-year history of the Christian church, it's often the ones who are so convinced that they are the right ones, that they have the right information. They're the ones who end up torturing, burning, and crucifying the ones who dare to ask a question or have a doubt. So we do not want to get caught in this trap of thinking this way because we can see, we know because we have a plenty of history to look at and see that this is where this path takes us. And we don't want to find ourselves uh, in that place. We don't want to end up there. And so this is a kind of Christian tribalism that we have to resist. Now, again, we know that humans by nature tend to divide themselves into these kinds of factions, us and them, right and wrong. But when it comes to theology, it really is the wrong way to approach things. We can see, for example, you know, the Apostle Paul uh, writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, he noticed this, that Christians were forming into these little cliques and groups, dividing over which apostle was their favorite. And, uh, you know, he said, hey, not so with you. Don't do this. You know, um, remember, uh, don't you know, one says, I'm with Paul, I'm with Apollos, uh, I'm, with, uh, I'm with Jesus, whatever. And he says, no, um, don't do this, right? He says, uh, well, I, to paraphrase him, you know, let's just kind of apply it to this situation. Um, saying to saying to us today what 
Paul said to Christians in Corinth might sound something like this. Is Christ divided? Was Karl Barth crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of R.C. Sproul? Did Marcus Borg rise from the dead? Did John MacArthur ascend into heaven? No, we are all followers of Christ. And again, that's the point. Our unity is in Christ, not in our beliefs or denominations or our doctrinal statements. Now, this is hard for us because for so many of us, we have been conditioned to believe that unity is based on agreement. Um, because we have statements of faith, because we have doctrinal statements that we have to sign for our membership in our churches. It reinforces the notion that everyone in that particular church, you know, body or uh, in that in that fellowship, we all believe these 10 things because we had to sign a document. We had to go through a new believers class. We had to raise our right hand or whatever and say, yes, we believe these things. And that's why we're here. And that's why we remain members here. Now, of course, a very strong implication is, is that if you ever change your mind about one of those 10 things, uh, you're no longer welcome here and you will be asked to leave. And if you haven't experienced that yet, well, it just might happen to you one day if you change your mind about one of those things that you said that you believed and you no longer believe them anymore. Um, again, well, why does this happen? Because we have bought into the idea that the gospel is about having the right information. Uh, we have bought into the idea that unity is based on agreement when that is not what our agreement is based on. Paul says that uh, in the body of Christ, there is no Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, young or old, rich or poor, gay or straight. I'm going to add that part in. Um, all of those distinctions, all of those things that seem to separate us, that, that none of those things matter. But what Paul says is, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. We're not one in our doctrines. We're not one in our beliefs. We're not one in all of our little particulars and nuances of what we accept this and believe that or struggle with this or doubt that. That has nothing to do with it. No. As long as we have a faith in and a connection to Christ, we have a unity. That's where our unity is found. So again, you know, we can approach those who disagree with us um, in one or two ways. There's sort of two paths we can take. If we encounter another person who believes something different than we do, um, we can focus on the differences, right? We can say, well, you believe that, but I, I believe this. And immediately, if we start focusing on what, what our differences are, well, then this will lead to an argument, a disagreement, division, conflict, uh, violence, war, genocide like that's where those that's where that path takes us to but there's another path there's another way of responding it's a different path and it takes us to a different place the other path is to focus instead on what we have in common so now of course in the, in the christian faith what we what brings us unity as paul says in galatians that we just talked about our unity is in christ we are one in christ so we focus on what we have in common. And when we discuss what we have in common, the things that we, we do um, have in common, then this leads to a conversation, connection, and eventually even friendship and love, and eventually to peace. That's where that path leads us. And we have all been given a ministry of reconciliation, right? So of those two paths, it should be pretty clear which one we should choose the path that leads to peace. So that means we're, we don't focus on 
our differences. We focus on what we have in common. Well, you know, so um, if we can do that, right, then that will lead us to something better. But again, as long as you believe that the gospel is about having the right information, then you miss the beauty, which is that the gospel is not about information. It's about transformation. Yes, the gospel is about transformation. And transformation is not what you know, the information you know. It's who you know. It's Christ. So again, our unity is in Christ, and the gospel is about our connection with Christ and the transformation we experience by being in relationship with Christ. And we can do that and still have differing views on this or that theology or this or that doctrine. Um, and so, because of all of that, it's imperative for us to relax our grip on being right and begin to shift towards embracing the fact, the reality, that all of theology is a conversation about the greatest mystery of all, which is God. And there is no greater mystery than God. Now, because God is real, um, we get to have an, an engagement with a, this mystery of God. And it's, it's infinite. It's boundless. Um, there's no way of completely wrapping your arms around it. You'll never come to the end of it, right? Um, God is this being, this, this ocean of infinite love that is higher and wider and longer and deeper than we can ever possibly fathom. Now, part of, you know, human nature is that we're also very curious creatures, right? We love mysteries. And what we love, unfortunately, most about mystery is getting answers, right? We want to know who did it. Was it Colonel Mustard in the library with a candlestick? We have to know. And now, this can be the problem. It can kind of almost become like one of those Chinese finger traps, right? We are drawn to mystery. We are drawn to something unknown. God is this great unknown. And so we are drawn to this great unknown, this great mystery. We can't help ourselves, right? Curiosity pulls us, draws us, compels us to seek and knock, search, right? This is what kind of is the magnet, this great magnet that, that compels us, that pulls us into the orbit of the greatest mystery uh, in the universe, God's self. Um, but again, the problem is that most of us just want to know the answer, right? Tell me the answer. I don't like mystery. I don't like sitting in the mystery. At some point, I want answers. I want the information. And so, again, Christianity has become now less about the mystery because there's no mystery anymore. Our theology has figured it out. We have got all the answers. We've got it all worked out. And God is, if not, you know, bound in a box, is bound in a book. But one way or the other, we have still condensed the greatest unknown mystery of the universe, God's self, into 10 simple little doctrines that we have the answers to. And once you got that, 
Well, that's that's something, I guess. You can have a measure of what you think is certainty. Um, it can bring you some measure of comfort. But the reality is that that isn't God. Those are just answers that you settled for in place of the endless mystery of God. And so I'm urging you, don't settle for those easy answers, those simple formulas that reduce God to bits of information that you can comprehend and understand and communicate and simplify. Because God is not what you can simplify. God is not something you can uh, know and comprehend to that degree. And if you think about it too, um, the mystery is so much better than the answer. You know, I mean, like for example, you know, when the, when the, um, when the movie Star Wars first came out, and we had this concept of the Force, right? And it's this kind of mysterious energy that certain people can have an ability to tap into and become one with, and do phenomenal things, right? Um, but then in later films, they went ahead and decided to explain to us that the Force was really these microscopic organisms called midichlorians, and they lived in the bloodstream of certain people. And like, oh man, that was really lame. It was so much better when I when the Force was something more mysterious and uh, fascinating, right? Um, another show I used to love, the TV show Lost, and um, you know the first season. Uh, there was this smoke monster, this weird monster that was on the island, and it was, you know, you, you never really saw it. You'd see the after effects of it. You'd hear strange noises and people disappearing and destruction left in its wake. And, you know, you got that that really great quote, you know, like, guys, where are we? And it was, you know, just this additional mystery to this island um, that pulled you in. Well, you know, if you if you continue to watch that show, you know, in the final seasons, sadly, they went way, way, way too far into answering every little question we had about that monster and how it got there, what it was, and and boy, that was so disappointing. You know, you want to rewind the tape and go back to when you didn't know those things, because the not knowing was so much better than the knowing. Uh, it reminds me, actually, J.J. Abrams, The uh, he was actually the creator of that show, Lost, but he's also a film director, and he's made a lot of really great movies. And um, he gave a talk once about um, the mystery box, and he still has it. It's this kind of long yellow box um, with a giant question mark on it, and it says mystery box. And he's never opened it. And what it, what it is is when he was a young boy, his grandfather took him to this magic shop, and said, hey, buy whatever you want. And there it was at the top shelf, this really cool yellow box with a giant question mark on it. And he did basically the mystery box is like, you know, you get like, I think, 30 or 40 um, random magic tricks uh, in a single box. But you don't know what they are until you open it, right? And uh, for, a pretty, for a good price, right? So he just liked the box. He liked the design. It sounded like a good deal, so he bought it. But, you know, here he is now in his 40s, and he's never ever open that box. And he said, you know, the reason why he's never opened the box is that he realized that his wonder, his curiosity, um, his imagination about what 
could be in that box is so much better than what's really in that box. Like he knows when he opens it, there's just going to be these like lame, little cheesy, cheap plastic, you know, magic tricks that were, that are designed for like 15 year old kids. And, um, and so he, by not opening the box, he's sort of preserving the idea of the promise of the mystery of what really could be in that box. And that childlike wonder and fascination of what could be in that box, um, because you know it's better than having the absolute answers of what's in that box, it's better to hold on to the mystery. Now, let's just stick with that analogy for a second. Am I saying that um, that having those kinds of revelations about God would be disappointing? Well, no, 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 no. But that's my point. My point is that that the revelations about God that we could have are mind-blowingly more amazing and astounding than we could possibly imagine, right? Paul even says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who, who, who love him, and that that it that you know that the love of God is higher and wider and longer and deeper than we could possibly imagine that it transcends knowledge it transcends information and that's the point and that, that we should not settle for our meager little doctrines and definitions of a being that is infinitely greater than our imagination and so if we know that we at least on this side of the veil, in, in this life, we're not going to get those kind of actual pictures and images and answers, then we shouldn't settle for half-baked, you know, sort of second-hand um, simplifications of a God that, that literally transcends our ability, surpasses our ability to fully comprehend. Now, again, does that mean we don't know God? Well, of course not. Of course we can know God. In fact, Jesus even tells us, um, there's a beautiful passage in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, you know, this is eternal life, that they would know God and his Son. So, at first blush, you would say, well, okay, Keith, but right there Jesus says, you know, eternal life is to know God. Doesn't that mean I have to have the right information about God? Well, you might think that, but see, here's the thing. Go and look at the Greek of that text. And the Greek word, therefore, to know, Jesus uses there, is not the word for information. It's not the word episteme. Episteme is information, details, data, right? Bullet points, uh, facts. That's what episteme is. Jesus doesn't say eternal life is to episteme God. No. What he says is the another Greek word, which is the uh, gnosis, right, or gnosko. The literal word is gnosko, but it's close to, closer to the to the, uh, it's the root of the word uh, gnosis. And this gnosko, specifically, is closer to the word used to say that the way a husband knows his wife, and she would conceive new life, right? So uh, more of a, a sexual, an intimate knowing of God. Whoa! Think about that. That Jesus is saying a shocking thing in that in that verse. That he is saying 
This is eternal life to gnosko God, to have an intimate intercourse, an intimacy with the creator of the universe, so that, so deep, so intimate, so personal, that it would conceive something new, a new life within you. That is transformation, my friends, not information. It's very specifically not episteme information. It is very explicitly gnosko relationship. And that kind of intimacy, that is the kind of knowing, this transformational knowing that we're invited into. And that is all about mystery, right? The idea of having God figured out, the, the, the approach of theology that would look at theology as if it's about figuring God out, as if God is some mathematical equation that we can find the answer to, or some puzzle that we can solve, like God is some four-dimensional Rubik's Cube that if we just keep turning and playing with it, trying the patterns, eventually we're going to solve it. Um, that's the wrong way for us to think about God. Um, there's actually a song that has a line that I love so much that says, oh no, you're doing it wrong. You're dissecting the bird trying to find the song. And that's what, it, that's what it's so much like to me. It's like, you know, we it's, it's like hearing a bird singing and saying, oh, that song is so beautiful. I'm going to capture that bird. I'm going to start cutting it into pieces until I find that song it's singing. It's in there somewhere. I heard it coming out. That song was coming out of the bird. So I'm just going to cut this bird up until I get that song out. That to me is the same thing, that, uh, the, the same kind of thinking that we use when we decide we are going to brute force um, <laughs> information about God somehow, that we're going to crack the code of God. And we're going to know God in the informational data sense, the bullet point sense, the episteme sense. That's ridiculous. You're never, ever going to understand God like that. That's not the kind of knowing that we are called to. Not information, but gnosko, experience, relationship, right? Intimacy. And so it is possible for us to know God, but it's it's a knowing that's experiential. It's not a knowing that makes us smarter. It's a knowing that makes us more loving, more kind, more patient, more giving. Really, ironically, more like the character of Christ. And so that's what we need to move into. That's why embracing mystery is so important, because it's about transformation. And by doing this, we experience this exact same kind of transformation. So uh, there's a really great quote by a guy named um, Archibald MacLeish. He says, religion is at its best when it makes us ask hard questions of ourselves. It is at its worst when it deludes us into thinking we have all the answers for everybody else. So we don't want to think that way, right? We don't want to be that way. We want to move, to shift into this way of relaxing our grip on knowing in this informational sense, right? Um, I've used this quote before, but, you know, this idea that the funny thing about my worldview is no matter how many times it changes, I'm always right. And um, 
So we think that way, don't we? Right? Even when we do change our minds, it's like no matter how many times we change our minds, we're always right. But that's even though as weird as that is, as kind of silly as that is, that we do we do behave that way sometimes, right? Um but we can we need to think about that same kind of thing from another angle. We need to realize that you know, if I've changed my mind several times, and every time I change my mind, I'm right. You know what it really means? It means you were wrong before. It means you're probably wrong now about a few things. And let me tell you what, you're going to be wrong again in the future. And so if you really can rest in that and understand that and accept that, that it isn't about being right. It's about the reality of how many times you've been wrong. So this should lead us to humility, give us grace for one another, especially those who might believe something now that you used to believe a few years ago. So we would hold loosely to our beliefs. Uh, Richard Rohr says, I love this quote, Richard Rohr says, God is always bigger than the boxes we build for God, so we should not waste too much time protecting our boxes. And oh my goodness, don't we spend so much time protecting our little boxes. Even though, guess what? If you ever open that box, God is not in that box. And we start to get to the place where we think that our little boxes uh, of information about God that we think contain God, God's not in there have nothing to do with God. But we act as if those boxes, those boxes then can become our God. And that's not what it's about. So I hope this is helpful. I, I hope that you can start moving away from certainty and begin to um, hold a little more loosely to the things that you think you believe. That it isn't about certainty, right? It's about um, connection with God. You know, my Kenneth Tanner, I'm going to quote another friend of mine, Kenneth Tanner uh, posted something recently. He said, um, if you would be a theologian or pursue any kind of wisdom, get comfortable saying these sentences. Ready? I don't know. It's complicated. I was wrong. I just haven't sat with it long enough to help you. I do not have the words to describe what I am seeing. And let me think about that. So, I tell you what, if you really want to have less arguments, um, less anxiety, um, if you want to have a closer connection with God that's more about experiencing the presence of God and less about having God all figured out and defined, um, then embracing mystery is really, really important. Um, we don't want to delude ourselves into thinking that we have everything figured out. Because, guys, let's be honest, we really don't. You know, we can't let the cement dry on what we think we believe. If we do, our sense of wonder and curiosity are dead. You know, they say curiosity kills the cat, and maybe that's true. But let me tell you, it also gives life to those who are seeking after God. Theology is, should be a study of a being. Well, it is. Theology is a, is a study of a being beyond everyone's imagination. And really, none of us, none of us can really truly say honestly that we have all the answers. That we have God all figured out, right? We uh, we just don't. 
God is the greatest mystery. And God invites us to know God, the great mystery. Not by figuring him out, not by graphing him, charting him, dropping him down into a set of bullet points and formulas, because that's not the way. That's not the way we're ever going to understand God. What God invites us to do is to have a relationship with this mystery, to experience this mystery. Listen, here's the truth, and this this either brings you great comfort, great joy, or it really scares you. Hopefully it brings you great joy, but here it is. This is the truth. There is more of Christ to know than you will ever know this side of eternity. I'm going to say it again. There is more of Christ to know than you will ever know this side of eternity. Really. I'm going to quote another uh, great uh, great uh, teacher. His name is Callistos Ware. He's an Eastern Orthodox bishop. He says, We see that it is not the task of Christianity to provide easy answers to every question, but to make us progressively aware of a mystery. God is not so much the object of our knowledge as the cause of our wonder. Yes, that's right. And so, let me just encourage you to press into the mystery. Embrace the mystery. Let go of your need to be right. Recognize that it isn't even about being right. It's not about having the right information. It's about having intimacy with a God who is the greatest and most wonderful and mind-blowing, breathtaking mystery you could ever imagine. And we are invited to experience that incredible love, that amazing presence of God. That's what it means to embrace mystery. I hope you can do that. I hope you would be willing to even consider that. Because that, to me, is the beginning of wisdom. Socrates said the only true wisdom is in knowing that you know nothing. So it isn't about knowing. It's not about information. It's about transformation. And I thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Second Cup with Keith. And um, I thank you for uh, your feedback. If you are listening on the Ethos Radio app, you can uh, leave me a little voice message there. And I would love to hear what you think about the podcast. If you have ideas or comments about upcoming podcasts, you, topics you'd like me to cover, uh, please let me know. And um, we'll see you again next time on Second Cup with Keith. Thanks so much.